Lord, you are here, and we are here. Meet us where we need you the most today. Restore our lives. Pour out your spirit on us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, what do you think of when I say the word restoration to you? Anybody want to offer anything? Houses. Houses, exactly. Houses. Sometimes old, great architects, they're doing a restoration of the cathedral, Notre Dame. I mean, sometimes you can go to a museum and you can see an ancient animal, like a dinosaur, that the bones have been restored to make it what it actually looked like in those days. Sometimes, sometimes, it's a restoration of your friendship with somebody, a restoration of a connection that you had had that had been lost. The key, when we speak of restoration, the word actually means repairing or renewing. Repairing or renewing something. So we're going to talk about restoration today, and we're going to look at it from both Nehemiah and the Gospel. Well, first of all, who was Nehemiah? Anybody real familiar with Nehemiah? It's not something we talk about too often. Nehemiah was a Jew who lived in Persia and had been there for quite some time, and he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, however you say his name. Now, being a cupbearer, was an incredibly responsible position because as the cupbearer, you made sure that nothing poisonous or dangerous was given to the king to drink. Sometimes you even had to drink from the cup first to prove that um, it was safe. Not only was it a very prestigious position, it was also a very well-paid position. And so you were a person of a pretty good bit of honor. You were well-known. And so Nehemiah is in Persia, and he hears. Now, a lot of the Jews have already gone back um, to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah hears of their plight. They are suffering. The synagogue is still not really rebuilt. They're working and the walls are destroyed. There are no doors in the city to guard the city. And Nehemiah hears that they are just very depressed, downtrodden, and kind of hopeless. And he prays about it. And he asks God what he should do. And it's a burden on his heart. And he prays and he thinks and he reminds God in his prayer that, Lord, these are your people and they're hurting. Is there something that I can do? So he decides to go to the king and ask him, he feels like God is leading him, if he can go back and rebuild the walls of Judah. And the king gives him permission to do this. 
And so this is about the middle of the fifth century, somewhere 400s, mid, mid 400s. So when he goes back, he gathers a crew of people and with them, in 52 days, he rebuilt the walls of the city. Now, he was in charge, but he lived and ate with all the laborers. He didn't take any special honor for himself. He worked with them all the time, and they finished the wall. And after that, he was appointed to the position of one of the governors of the area. So, in our passage today, we're going to experience what restoration looked like for the people of God. Remember, they've been in exile, they come back, they're rather a ragtag group of people, and depressed, downhearted, they don't know how to read, they have um, not a lot of teaching because they haven't had a lot of opportunity for it. And so he gathers the people and they meet near the water gate. You didn't even think about water gate being <laughs> <laughs> until just now. But they meet at the water gate. Why? Because the water gate was a place that women could go. It wasn't a restricted clerical area where only men could go, and even children could go. And so they are at the water gate, and these people have asked that the law, the book of the law of Moses be read to them. They don't know what it says. They don't remember. They don't have the history. And they want to know what it is that God's people are called to look like, to be, and to be. So Ezra, who is a priest at the time, he and Nehemiah are contemporaries, make sure that this is done. And so the people, men, women, and children, stand for six hours while the book of the law of Moses is read to them. Now, if I gave a six-hour sermon, you all wouldn't even sit for six hours. You'd be long gone. But these people are desperate. They want to hear. They don't remember. And so they stand. Not only does Ezra read, there are a number of assistants, Levites, who walk among the people making sure that they get the understanding. So, do you have a question? Okay, let me explain that to you. So, he, the, the intent is to make sure that the people truly understand the Word of God. So, as they get to the end of this time, there is an enormous amount of weeping and grieving because they realize how sinful they are, how far they have fallen from what the law of Moses was. And an interesting thing happens. Instead of encouraging that grief, Ezra tells them, this 
is a holy day. He has dedicated this reading to the Lord. This is a holy day. You are called not to grieve anymore. You have heard what it is. Go back. Rejoice. Make a feast. Serve your neighbors if they don't have food. But enjoy yourself. And he says these words. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, what is the joy of the Lord? What they are learning as they hear this is what it means to live in relationship with God, to know God, but also to know that they are known by God and loved by God. Joy equals good pleasure and happiness, not because of what you do or what you have, but because of who is, who God is. And that's why in the song, The Joy of the Lord, which is quite lengthy, there are a couple of verses that say, in the darkness I'll dance, in the shadows. In other words, not just when things are going right, but all the time. I will do this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So Nehemiah and Ezra have been instrumental in reintroducing the people to the law. And what does that mean? The people have come to realize restoration. They know again what it is to live in relationship, what God would like of them, what they are to give to God. It's all about relationship. And so in today's gospel, as we move forward, we meet Jesus early in his ministry in the gospel of Luke. And Luke tells us he's been preaching and teaching in Galilee. In the power of what? The Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. Now Luke has a very important understanding. When he talks about the Spirit, he is talking about empowerment and healing. And uh, the things that we will see, restoration, the things that we will see happening through Jesus and his relationship to us. So now Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, right? You know the old saying, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. So he comes back to Nazareth, and he goes to synagogue, as was his habit every um, Saturday. And they hand him a scroll to read. And it happens to be the scroll of Isaiah. And so he picks it up, and he goes through that scroll until he reaches a certain part. And he says, as he begins to read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's 
favor would have been a jubilee year. It happened every 50 years. And for a whole year, you celebrated. That sounds like my kind of year. <laughs> for a whole year, you celebrated. They would roll blow the ram's horn and all these things happened. But anyway, so he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sits because to teach rabbis or teachers sat. And he says, today, today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' words are words of restoration. The blind will see. The captive will be free. All these good things will happen. The oppressed will be set free. All of these things will happen through the Spirit of God and the heart of Jesus. Now, he comes to proclaim the year of the faith of God's favor. And as we know, the people of Nazareth were not really excited about him at that point in time. But that's a little further in the thing. He is talking about things that they will see during his ministry. He will, in fact, heal the blind. He will cast out evil spirits. He will set oppressed free. He will cure the leper and return them to society. So all these things, the people will see in a very physical sense. But the words have meaning beyond the physical. They have a spiritual and a personal meaning as well. What does it mean as we go deeper into those words? And I ask you, where are you? Where am I in life? Do we ever feel poor in spirit? Ever feel like you don't really see what's going on? Ever feel captive to negativity or doubt? The sin in our lives does block us and make us sometimes forget who we are called to be. So, did you ever just sit and weep because you just weren't good enough? Things haven't worked out the way you planned? If that's true for any of you, and it's certainly true for me, then these words of Jesus are for you today, right where you are. He has come to set you free. To set all of us free. He's speaking to us. To us. Life is tough. It can really get you down. And Jesus wants to restore us. To raise us up again. To remind us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy that he has in you and each one of you and in me. And the joy that we have in knowing him as Lord and Savior. This is our strength. This is the joy that doesn't mean you're just going around laughing all the time because everything's perfect. No, this is the joy that creates you, 
Christianity is not something that is just a word. It is a lifestyle. It is the way we live. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what it means when you know you are forgiven, when you know you are restored, when you know this deep-seated love of Jesus. Because you know that Jesus knows you and exactly who you are and your sorrows and your pains and your happy times. And in all of those, he loves you. And he loves me. Sometimes that is an amazing concept to realize. And it's all about this joy. It's all about relationships. And all about knowing who we are. And it's that joy within us that, as the song says, lets us us dance when it's dark. Lets us sing in the shadowed times of life. Because the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in our life, 